Good morning, Christ Church. It's great to be here with you in worship today, whether you're here in Fairfax Station or joining us online. Uh, you know, God has brought us to this place for a reason. In this place today, God is going to deliver a word to us. And so I just pray that our hearts and our minds and our ears and our eyes would be open to that message. Uh, my name is Tony Arnold. I'm your online campus pastor. Uh, and uh, I will be uh, delivering the final message of our also starring the Gospel Supporting Cast series today. I'm a little sad to see it go. Um, this has been kind of a fun series for me. We've been able to kind of examine some of the um, not so well-known characters in the Bible, the, the not the top billing stars like we normally look at. You know, we usually focus on Peter or on Paul, David, people like that. But this time we're focusing on those who may kind of slip through the cracks, those that we don't necessarily notice quite as much. And what excites me most about this concept of also starring this whole series is the idea of how it connects to us. Because each of us may go through our lives faithfully serving God, and our names may never make it into the history books. It just may not happen. But that doesn't mean that God won't use you and that God won't use me in a powerful way. And that doesn't mean that God doesn't value what it is that we bring to the table. And so what we are going to do is we're going to recognize together, as we did for the first five weeks of the series, that we are the gospel-supporting cast. Now, for the first few weeks of the series, we focused on characters like Silas, Titus, Lydia, Priscilla, and Aquila. And we learned that they all had one thing in common. And that one thing in common that they had was the Apostle Paul. Every single one of them, in one way, shape, or form, was connected to the Apostle Paul. They knew him in some way. They were ministry partners with him. But today, you're going to find that Paul doesn't show up at all, not even once. In fact, the, the woman that we're going to be looking at today, she never met Paul as far as we know. Instead, she brushed shoulders with none other than the Apostle Peter, that same Peter who was best friends with Jesus, that same Peter who denied Jesus and then was later restored after Jesus rose from the dead. And what we're going to find that's really amazing is that Peter left an undeniable mark both on her and on the community that she served. And I think what we're going to see is that Peter's action and her ministry on behalf of the widows that she served has something in common and points to the central story, the central event, the central moment of our faith, and that is raising the dead to life. And so let's begin the story with Acts chapter 9. A woman who was a follower lived in the city of Joppa. Her name was Tabitha, or Dorcas. She did many good things and many acts of kindness. One day she became sick and died. After they had washed her body, they laid her in a room on the second floor. The city of Lydda was near Joppa. The followers heard that Peter was at Lydda and sent two men to ask him to come at once. Peter went back with them, and when he came, they took him to the room. All the women whose husbands had died were standing around crying. They were showing the clothes Dorcas had made while she was with them. And Peter made them all leave the room. Then he got down on his knees and prayed. He turned to her body and said, Tabitha, get up. And she opened her eyes and looked at Peter and sat up. 
And he took her by the hands and lifted her up. Then he called to the faithful followers and the women whose husbands had died. He gave her to them, a living person. News of this spread throughout all Joppa, and many people put their faith in the Lord. And so this is God's word for us today. Now, at first, you know, when when you first look at Tabitha, you begin to ask the question, well, this seems like she's the most quiet and passive member of the support, the gospel supporting cast that we've looked at all series. And on one hand, the reason why this is, is because, uh, you know, she's quietly serving these widows, making clothes for them, meeting their needs. You know, it's not a right in the spotlight sort of work that she's doing. Unlike Silas, You know, Tabitha was never at the Jerusalem council like we learned in week one. And unlike Priscilla and Aquila, you know, Tabitha never uh, taught gifted preachers and she never ran a church. And on the other hand, by the time we meet Tabitha in this story, she's dead. It doesn't get much more passive than that. And so, right. (laughs) And so, you know, what do we do with a character like this? You know, all we know about her comes from what we see through the widows. And what's really incredible about the widow's witness is that Tabitha's kindness, her goodness, her good deeds are literally clothing their bodies. And so they witness to her and her goodness through that. But there's more to Tabitha than that. In fact, I think what we're going to see as we walk through the message is a direct parallel between what Peter does for Tabitha this one time, and what Tabitha did continually for this uh, group of widows that she cared so deeply about. And so I figured we'd start with a little context for our story. And so I don't know if you picked up on this, um, but I think it's really a significant detail that the story shares with us that the women that she was ministering to were widows. This is a really critical detail because in the early chapters of the book of Acts, uh, we learn that there was a dispute among Jewish Christian believers. Now, when I say Jewish Christian, I'm referring to the fact that all Christians in, in that part of the early church were Jews. They came from a Jewish background. So Jewish Christians who were from the greater part of the empire spread out all over across the empire were disputing against local believers, local Jewish Christians. And the nature of the dispute was about how to care for the widows of deceased believers. And so what happened was the 12 apostles, well, actually, let me back up. Before that, what the, what the Greek-speaking Jewish Christians were claiming is that the believers who were local were getting preferential treatment and that their widows were being overlooked in the food distribution. So the 12 apostles, they get together, they put their heads together on this, and they wisely discern that, hey, there's no way that we can go and spread the gospel message, preach the good news of Jesus Christ, 
and manage the food distribution at the same time. It's not how we're wired. It's not how this is going to go forward. And so what they decided was they took a man named Stephen, and they took six others along with him. They took these men. They laid hands on them. They prayed that the Holy Spirit would empower them. And these men then created a system to support the widows on both sides, the local widows as well as the widows from the larger uh, Roman Empire. And so in this way... Uh, they created a system that would support widows as the church continued to grow. Now, I say all of this to say this, that caring for widows was a huge top priority for the early church. In fact, it was one of God's top priorities for the church, and we see God's concern for widows in both the Old and the New Testament. In fact, this is what the book of James has to say about this. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress, in their distress, and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. You know, according to James, true religion wasn't based on external adherence to a religious system of thought. Re true religion was all about our response of mercy to the needs that we find around us. And I think what we learn, first of all, from this context of widows in Tabitha's story is that Tabitha exemplified what James would call true religion. Tabitha exemplified mercy. She showed mercy to the widows by taking care of their needs, by making clothes for them, by loving them as if they were her own flesh and blood. So, you know, I think that she was engaged in vital ministry. She may, never have, she may never have led a church, like Priscilla and Aquila, for instance, but she was engaged in vital ministry to a group of people who were marginalized, who often slipped through the cracks in biblical times. So what else can we learn from this story? Well, if we turn back several chapters in Acts, we, can, we learn that this was a time of immense success for the early church. It was a time of immense success. In fact, you know, right before Jesus ascended into heaven, he gathered the 12 disciples, or the 11 disciples at that point, together, and he said to them, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and Galilee and all around the, the known world. <clears throat> Excuse me. And that's exactly what happened. The church spread far and wide. And what that did was it created the conditions for new possibilities in the church. And it led to new effectiveness as the gospel spread more rapidly around the region. Now, you'll find that in Acts 9.31, which is the verse right before our story of Tabitha today, that that Acts describes what this time was like. And it goes like this. Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened, living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, it increased in numbers. So why do I think that the church was being prepared for new, for, for a new season? What was this successful, immensely successful period all about? Well, I believe the church was being prepared for new possibilities, for brand new possibilities. And get this, Tabitha's healing, this whole story that we're looking at this morning, took place within this period of new possibilities. 
And immediately after Tabitha's story, uh, in chapter 10 of the book of Acts, Peter goes to meet Cornelius and his family. And, and many of you know about Cornelius. He and his family became the first Gentiles to enter into the church. And I think that what we see oftentimes with this greater immense period of success in the church is it was setting the conditions necessary for the greater restoration between the Jews and the Gentiles, making them one people within the church. You see, I hardly think it's a coincidence that Peter's last recorded miracle before going to meet with Cornelius was a healing, a restoration from a place of death to a place of life. And just like that, I think Tabitha's ministry signaled to something greater. Just like our ministry today signals the greater truth of the gospel, that Jesus Christ is alive and that Jesus Christ loves us and that Jesus Christ is the answer to the ills of this world. And so we may not see it in real time, but I believe that God is at work transforming this world through each and every one of us acting as agents of his grace in our everyday lives, in our everyday decisions. And there's no doubt in my mind whatsoever that Tabitha herself was a powerful, powerful agent of God's grace. I mean, just look at the meaning of her name. You know, you, you might have noticed uh, earlier in the story that Tabitha had two names. And that, now, there's a very specific reason for that. In, in the ancient times, uh, the people uh, were living in the Holy Land in a, in a place where it was kind of a, a melting pot of culture. There were a lot of cultures that were present there, and the Greek-speaking culture was very dominant in those times. And so most people had a local name, um, an Aramaic name, if you will, and had a Greek name as well as part of their larger cultural uh, background. And so we, we know from Scripture that Peter himself, uh, who appears in this story, had two different names. Peter was his Greek name, and Cephas was his Aramaic name. Likewise, Tabitha, or the, you know, the person that we're looking at today, had two names. Tabitha was her Aramaic name, and Dorcas was her Greek name. Now, why don't we say those names together? Tabitha, Dorcas, one more time. Tabitha, Dorcas. I just wanted to see if I could get you all to say Dorcas, honestly. <laughs> Do any of you know any Dorcases, by the way? Yeah? Raising your hands in the back? You think I'm a Dorcas? Yeah. My wife thinks I'm a Dorcas. So, in all seriousness, here's why those names are important. Tabitha and Dorcas, whichever name we use, they mean one thing. And that word that they mean is gazelle. Now, here's what's interesting about this. I think that the gazelle speaks to Tabitha's character. Now, do any of you know what a gazelle does really well? And, and nobody say fly based on this picture. There's no wings there. It's not flying. It's just leaping. But what does a gazelle do really well? Speed, runs, yes. Gazelles can run as fast as 60 miles per hour. Imagine that, 60 miles an hour. This is a fast, fast animal. Now, let's back up to Tabitha, and, and you might be wondering, well, what does this have to do with anything? Well, what I'm saying is that, I'm not saying that Tabitha can run 60 miles an hour. I mean, that's just silly. But what I am saying is that Tabitha quickens others. Now, 
to quicken can mean to make or become fast, but it also can mean to give or restore life. And what I think this name means is that Tabitha gives and restores life to the community of widows that she serves. You know, the, the widows, as Peter comes into the room, the widows are wearing her clothes on their bodies. They're showing him and each other just how much she meant to them. And she didn't do transactional ministry. Transactional ministry meaning once and done. The clothes represented a love relationship, an abiding presence in these widows' lives. And so early on in my faith, a friend of mine, a very dear friend, gave me a small cross. I'm, I don't really have one in my hand. I'm just, but um, I, I actually, uh, I don't have it on me today, unfortunately. But he gave me a small cross. And I carried that cross around with me pretty regularly for some time. And the reason why isn't be, just because it represents the meaning of my faith, meaning that, you know, Jesus Christ died for my sins and rose from the dead so that I could have eternal life. I could just get any cross I wanted for that. But this cross was special because it represented the work that God had done in my life and in the life of a very dear brother in Christ and how God had used me to bring him closer to him. And so it represented a relationship. And, and in the same way, the widow's clothes represented ministry, mercy done in the context of relationship. And so when we consider the meaning of Tabitha's name, that she quickens others, we realize that there's more at stake in the story than at first appears. Because here's the thing. When Tabitha dies, her life-giving work passes away with her. You know, the, the widows weren't just mourning the death of somebody that they loved very dearly. Of, of course, that was part of it. But they were also mourning the loss of a time of hope in their lives. Because widows in those days, they did not have government systems to support them. You know, the only safety net that they had was Tabitha. And all of a sudden, she was gone. Now, you'll notice that Peter plays a really prominent role in Tabitha's story. And at the risk of putting a little bit too much of the spotlight on Peter for a moment, I wanted to put his trip to Joppa in context. Now, Peter was located in a place called Lydda, right down here, not far from Jerusalem. And what's really interesting about this story uh, that you might not have known is Peter actually performed a miracle in Lydda before he went to Joppa. It was on a man named Aeneas, and Aeneas was paralyzed. Peter, the healing power of Jesus Christ, went through Peter and enabled Aeneas to walk again. And so followers of Jesus Christ from Joppa went down to Lydda to get Peter and to bring him back. There's only about 10 miles between these two places, so it wasn't that big of a trip. So they clearly had heard of the miracle that Peter performed in Lydda, and they went and got him. They brought him to Joppa. And now Joppa uh, was a, a, a coastal town that once was on the Philistine coast. Now, uh, you can see here in the picture, in the foreground uh, here, uh, there is a picture of what is known as Old Joppa. And then in the background, you can kind of see more modern buildings off in the distance. That's the newer part of the city. And, and this just kind of gives you an idea of uh, what you know, the city might have looked like when Peter went to visit the widows and the believers there. Now, 
the widows uh, seem to be beside themselves, but I do believe that those who were sent to bring Peter to Joppa truly believed that Peter would bring Tabitha back to life. But when Peter stepped into the room, when he stepped into the grief of that moment and saw these widows showing the clothes that, that uh, Tabitha had made for them to each other and to him, he was likely overcome by a very strong memory. Now, you see, back when Jesus and the whole gang were still together, they were touring the countryside, and they were performing miracles. They were doing ministry together. And they came across a man named Jairus, who told Jesus that his daughter was dying. And Jesus said, I'll come back with you to your house and, and heal your daughter. But she died before they arrived. And here's what happened next. Jesus went into the house. He let only Peter and James and John and the father and mother of the girl go in with him. Everyone was crying and full of sorrow because of her. Jesus sent them all out. He took the girl by the hand and said, Child, get up. Her spirit came back and she got up at once. Jesus told them to bring her food. You know, this should sound pretty familiar to you after that first story. And imagine what was going through Peter's mind in that moment. He was remembering a miracle that God had performed through Jesus years ago to raise the daughter of Jairus from the dead. And now he likely had the sense that God was about to use him to perform another miracle. Did you notice that Peter's command, Tabitha, get up? was practically the same command that Jesus gave to Jairus' daughter, get up. Now, when we see a, a miraculous healing in the Gospels, or when we hear words like get up, it's not just a prayer, it's a command. And that command means something. It's not just simply the person comes back to life and that's that and everybody's happy. What it often means when you see the words get up reflected in Scripture is that it leads, whoever it is that's being raised, is being raised to renewed service on behalf of others. You see, Tabitha wasn't just being raised for her own sake. She wasn't just being raised to live again. She was being raised so that the group of widows she ministered to could live once more. And Peter allowed himself to be used in this way as a conduit of God's grace. But here's the thing, that is a lot of talk about what Peter did. And the dilemma that I had when I was preparing this message came down to one question, and that question was this. How do we focus on an almost entirely passive member of the gospel-supporting cast when a star like Peter is on scene and all of the focus is on the miracle that he performs? How do we get past that dilemma? And then, all of a sudden, a light bulb went off, something clicked, and I saw something that was really refreshing, something that I had never seen before when I looked at this passage. And this is what I learned. First, I realized that even though Peter's a star in the gospel story, he's still a part of the gospel-supporting cast. Even the stars of the gospel are part of the gospel-supporting cast because ultimately, it's God's story. It's not our story. It's not about what Peter did. It's about what God did through Peter. It's about how God performed the impossible, raising the dead to life. 
But more importantly, it's about this. What Peter did for Tabitha physically this one time, raising her from death to life, Tabitha did spiritually and continually for the widows that she served. So in other words, as Peter guided Tabitha from death to life, so Tabitha guides the widows in their grief to a place of newness and a place of joy. Peter performed a fantastic miracle. There's no doubt about that. He physically raised the dead to life. But is what Tabitha did on a continual, constant basis any less a miracle? I don't think so. And so it doesn't stop with Peter or with Tabitha. In fact, I learned that Peter serving Tabitha in the same way as she served the widows teaches us that all of us are called to serve and to be served. All of us are called to serve and to be served, and that depends on the season that we happen to be in. You see, Tabitha, for years, faithfully served her community of widows. She fed into them. She gave them new life. But then it came time for Peter to come and to serve Tabitha and to feed new life into her. You know, a healthy life in the faith recognizes our limits and also takes joy not just in the ways in which we're able to give to others, in the ways in which we're able to feed into them, but it also takes joy in receiving from others and receiving that nourishment that we need from them. So what do we learn from Tabitha's example? Well, it comes down to, I think, six effective steps of ministry that we can learn together that we see reflected in both Peter and Tabitha's ministries. Now, I, I want to just say a, a note real quick before we get into this, that even though uh, we will outwardly be focused on Peter raising Tabitha from the dead, we can also apply this to how Tabitha raised the widows from a place of despair to a place of joy. And so just keep that in mind as we walk through these six steps. And the first step is this. Step into the grief. Step into the grief. Acts 9.39 reads, Peter went back with them. When he came, they took him into the room. All the women whose husbands had died were standing around crying. They were showing the clothes Dorcas had made while she was with them. You know, what we learn, first of all, is that we must step into the, into the tender spaces of people's lives in order to have effective ministry. And we often don't want to go to those places because, honestly, whenever we encounter somebody's grief, somebody's tender uh, space, what we often encounter is our own hurts. It, it brings those things out, and it's hard for us to walk in that uncomfortable place. But we have to be willing to walk alongside others going through struggle and going through grief because that's the way that it leads to healing and wholeness, not just in their lives, but perhaps also in our lives as well. And it's not something that we can do on our own. You know, uh, moving from a place of despair, a place of darkness, to a place of joy and a place of light and life is a community experience. We only experience that together. And we do it because that's where God shows up and works wonders. God works wonders right here in this room and online. All of us as a community together, God is working wonders and breaking through those barriers so that we can, we can be together in that grief 
and support one another in and through it and ultimately out of it. And so the second step is this. Clear your setting of distractions. Clear your setting of distractions. Acts 9.40 reads, Peter made them all leave the room. Now, what clearing our setting of distractions means in this context is, is clearing away everything so that we can focus on the person in front of us, clearing aside everything that distracts. You know, we set it aside completely, and that may mean for some of us turning our phone off, which I know it's horrifying to even think about that, but it may mean turning our phone off. It may mean clearing our calendar of everything for a day. It may mean making sacrifices of our time. And sometimes, oh, always, actually, it means being active listeners. It means being attentive listeners. It means being non-judgmental in our approach. And sometimes it may even mean being still with the person and allowing God in his mysterious way to bring healing in the midst of the silence. The third step is to pray to the Lord for a breakthrough. We are to pray to the Lord for a breakthrough. We can find this in Acts 9.40. Then he got down on his knees and prayed. He turned to her body and said, Tabitha, get up. Effective ministry is bathed in prayer. It, it simply is. We see it reflected in both the Old and the New Testament time and time again. Effective ministry is bathed in prayer. You know, and I think that Tabitha and Peter went a little bit beyond what we normally see as prayer. And what I mean by that in Tabitha's case is that Tabitha claimed a bold new reality in the lives of the widows that she served. You know, she, she knew that God's promises weren't limited to some, uh, some future life, you know, after our life on this earth passes. She knew that God's promises applied to this earth, this life as well. And she relentlessly prayed that they would sit up on their own, that they would get up, that they would take those next steps to that place of healing and wholeness. You know, we don't really know how many hours Tabitha prayed on behalf of these widows, but I do know one thing for certain, that they experienced breakthrough, that they experienced breakthrough because widowhood no longer defined them. They were no longer defined by the label that society placed on them. And with Tabitha to serve as their example, they too could spend their lives quickening, feeding life into those around them, taking care of those around them, being empowered to be people of the gospel, those who raise the dead to life. And it all starts with prayer. Now, the fourth step is this. Allow the person you're serving to sit up on their own. Allow the person you're serving to sit up on their own. Acts 9.40 she opened her eyes and looked at Peter and sat up. You see, when we're in grief, we may often feel as if we're victims of our circumstances. And if you are ministering to somebody who's in that headspace who feels like that, it's important that you restore for them a measure of agency, a measure of choice, that they can take those first steps that they need to take to healing and wholeness. That often means for us that we need to stand back at the right time and allow them to take those first steps. And sometimes it even means allowing them to define what those first steps are going to look like. Now, what I was curious about when I read the story is how did Tabitha create the space uh, that she needed for these widows to sit up on their own, to take the first steps that they needed to take on their own? 
And what I thought her goal was, was to make it possible for them to support one another, to support themselves. And I think what that might have looked like in her case was teaching them useful trade skills. So how many of you, you know, uh, how many of you suspect you know what Tabitha was good at? Well, I think Tabitha, I see a few hands. I, I think Tabitha was a good tailor. I think she knew how to sew. And I think that, uh, you know, she taught these widows how to sew. And what was really incredible about this was I think she was just beginning to do that when she passed away. And when Peter came and rose her from the dead, it allows her to continue her ministry and helping these widows to sit up on their own. Her work wasn't done. God knew this, and God used Peter to bring her back to make a difference in this community. And fifth, walk alongside and help them to stand. We walk alongside and help them to stand. Acts 9.40 reads, He took her by the hand and lifted her up. You know, this step is all about helping the people we're walking alongside through the rest of the journey. You know, after they take those first steps, uh, there, will be, there will be obstacles in the road along the way. And we're, our job is to walk alongside of them as they face these obstacles, as they walk through it. And one of the things that's really incredible about this step is that this is when you begin to see the journey from darkness to light, from despair to joy, make measurable progress in their lives. And soon enough, they won't just be walking on their own, they'll be running, and you may even have trouble keeping up. And that leads to this final step. Celebrate God's gift of healing. We're called to celebrate God's gift of healing in their lives. Acts 9, 41 through 42. Then Peter called in the, in the faithful followers and the women whose husbands had died. He gave her to them a living person. News of this went through all Joppa. Many people put their trust in the Lord. You see, gratitude is all about recognizing where we've been and where we are now and realizing that it was all because of the grace of God. You know, one of the greatest joys that we have in ministry is to see God's goodness reflected in the lives of our brothers and sisters, to see it take shape and to take form. In fact, one of my greatest joys in ministry has been that moment of realization that God has used me in some small way to bring that goodness about in somebody else's life. This is precisely the moment when a shirt or a little cross can become something so much more, when it can become a life-giving symbol of recognizing the relationship of love that Jesus has for each of us and that we have for each other through the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. You know, Tabitha and Peter spent a lot of time around Jesus, and it's really no mistake, no wonder that they were able to perform some of the same incredible miracles together. And as resurrection people, you and I are called to raise the dead to life. It may not look like what Peter did for Tabitha, but I can promise you it'll be like what Tabitha did for her community. That's what it means to raise the dead to life. That's what it means to be gospel people. That's what it means to love God, love others, and live out the gospel life. It means to bring the dead to life, to bring people on the edge of despair to a place of joy, knowing that their God loves them, that their God wants the very best life possible for each and every one of them. So 
let me ask you a few questions. Who in your life is in a place of darkness or a place of despair right now, desperately reaching for the light? Whose spirit needs to be revived? You know, we all have work to do. It's not just for the pastors. It's not just for the people who spend a lot of time in the church building. Because wherever we go, whatever our, wherever our steps lead us, we take the church with us. Because the church is the community. We, together, are the church. Whether we're here in Fairfax Station or online, we are the church, and we are called to be God's hands and feet in this world. You see... We are called to minister to the least, the lost, the lonely, and the last. Will you be Tabitha for them? Will you quicken them? Will you heal them? Will you bring and restore life to their lives? It's possible. And it's not the big stars that do this exclusively. It's for all of us. All of us are called to perform these small miracles, to be Tabitha for others. So never forget that you, each and every one of you, are part of the gospel's supporting cast. And I can promise you, as you serve God faithfully, as you quicken others, as you are Tabitha to others, you will find that God's kingdom will come on this earth as it is in heaven, just as we prayed earlier. It will happen. And so that is my prayer for you and for each and every one of us in this community as we close out this series, also starring. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for your love and grace in Jesus Christ, which never fails and never ends. Lord, you have quickened us in our spirit. You have given us life. You have restored life to us. And you have used your servants throughout the ages to do these incredible, incredible miracles. We thank you for the miracle of Peter, who brought Tabitha back to life so that she could bring this community of widows from a place of despair to a place of joy. And we thank you for her ministry, for the way in which she, in her own way, spiritually raised these widows back to life. God, I know that you have huge plans for us, yet even though you have huge plans for us, we may not take the spotlight. We may not be the stars of the gospel, but you ultimately are the main character. You are the one whose story we are telling. And regardless of whether or not anybody ever knows our names, I pray, Lord, that we would glorify you by serving others with your heart, by being Tabitha for others, quickening them to new life. So, Lord, fill this place with your Holy Spirit and fill those who are online today with your Holy Spirit. Enable us to be your church in Fairfax Station and all across the world for your glory, and we thank you, and we pray these things with gratitude and great expectation. In Jesus' holy name, and all God's people say, amen and amen.